Well, I want to go into Meta, and I I got about three things I want to talk about. One, Meta is down a lot, the stock price. Um, Why is it down a lot? It is reflecting what's going on in the rest of the economy. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Together we are bald, and we are here to talk to you about the bald truth. I don't know if that was actually a very good, maybe bald-faced hornets. Some other bald things as well. There aren't that many pleasant bald things. So, (sighs) sorry, the two unpleasant bald people will be talking to you today about the market. We have another question, and this has to do with what I was talking about with the Fed balance sheet. Uh, Steve says, uh, Fed balance sheet. On Maria Bartiromo's show on Fox News, she made the statement that the Fed is unwinding its balance sheet to the tune of $95 billion per month and that it takes trillion a trillion dollars of liquidity out of the market. How does that affect stocks and bonds? What does the term unwinding its balance sheet actually mean? Good questions. Um, the 95 or uh, – nine, it's actually – yeah, it's Unwind, ni- 95. Go ahead. Unwinding a balance sheet. I love that mixed metaphor. Yeah. Um, that is – unwinding. Weird. Unwinding means relaxing. It means loosening. It means letting go. And it's a mixed metaphor. It's horrible. When I was talking about the amount of money that w- that the Fed held on its sheet, on its balance sheet, you know, they've been purchasing for so many uh, years the U.S. Treasury bonds and mortgage-backed security bonds. Um, that's technically winding its balance sheet. It's filling it up. When you're unwinding, you're emptying it out. And the $95 billion that Maria Bartiromo was talking about is $60 billion to U.S. Treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities of $35 billion. They're selling those on the market. So if you have a portfolio of bonds in your balance sheet and you're selling it, that's unwinding your balance sheet. And that's what's going on. What does it do to the market? Well, let's kind of say what happens here. If the Federal Reserve is sitting on a bunch of cash answer to that. Yes, they are. They have a lot of money. They're a bank. And they go out and they buy a bond on the market. Well, what is the effect of that? Well, somebody owned a electronic certificate representing a loan, and now they suddenly have cash instead. Well, what can you do with cash? You can do a lot more things with cash than you can with a bond. What do you do with the bond? Well, you can sell it or buy it. You can watch it pay interest. Well, when you have cash, you can buy things. You can buy a tractor. You can buy a beanbag chair. Uh, It's very hard to buy a beanbag chair with a bond. Um, I'm just making that a clear statement, as clear as possible. Bonds are not effective at buying beanbag chairs. So cash is suddenly a tool that can be utilized for a lot of stuff. And during bad economies, the Federal Reserve goes up and buys bonds to introduce cash into the marketplace. Suddenly there's you, an influx of cash. You can buy beanbag chairs with notes. Yes, because a dollar is a Federal Reserve note. Note, right. Yeah. yeah. 
Just thought I'd throw that in there. You yeah, can't buy it with a bond, but you can with a note. Yeah, you're throwing dollars into beanbag chairs. I'm not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but it's an interesting concept. Uh, well, so, it, it relates to Beanie Babies. Uh, to and, some extent, yes. And, and NFTs, NFTs and Trump cards. Yeah, NFTs, yeah. No, uh, right. so, got it. When you're unwinding or winding a balance sheet, winding just means you're adding bonds to it. Unwinding means you're selling bonds. Well, the Federal Reserve, when they sell the bonds, they're pulling money out of the system. So they may be selling these bonds at a lower rate, a lower price than what they bought them for. They may be losing money on it. But in the process, they're pulling that money back out of the economy. If they're selling it, they have to sell it at a price that people are willing to buy it for. Once they buy it, it takes that same cash that they were pumping in out. So now the money's coming out of the economy. When I said that there's a trillion dollars less out there in circulation than there was at the top in April, this is part of what's happening there. The Federal Reserve has unwound about half a trillion dollars. The rest of that money has been spent by the, by the people of the United States. So half a trillion dollars been spent. The other half a trillion was sucked out when they bought the bond back from the Fed. Uh, so what does that do to the market? If there's less money to spend, it means earnings go down eventually. Right now, people are still sitting on a lot of cash. So we're not seeing the spending slow down quickly yet. Month to month um, from November... Uh, we saw retail spending drop for the first time. Because October, we spent a lot of money getting ready for Christmas. November, we spent a lot of making get money getting ready for Christmas, but not as much as we did in October. That's usually not the way it goes. Usually, we spend more in November than October. We spent more in October. We started early. So those are, those are little tidbits of information that let you know when they're unwinding their balance sheet, they're pulling money out of the economy, and you can see it directly in the evidence of retail spending from October to November. We have a little bit less money to spend, so we spent a little bit less money than we did before. Now, it's still more than we spent the year before, more than we spent in November of last year, just less than we did of October of this year. So all of this stuff is saying that we're seeing the, the, the largest uptick in inflations uh, and inflation month to month is probably behind us. Does that mean inflation has peaked out? I've got a pet peeve here. No, we're still prices are still higher than they were last month. They're just increasing at a slower rate than they did last month. So when people are saying and inflation has peaked out, according to these, no, no, and the the speed of inflation has maybe peaked out a little bit. We still have well, a lot of inflation going. Well. Uh, one percent, point one tenth of a percent a month is not a lot of inflation. Correct, and that's what we've got. The the core uh, CPI is running for the last two months at one tenth of a percent. That's one point two percent a year, which is below the Federal Reserve's target. Right. And we need to have a little more inflation than that, and and it, I hope it doesn't drop below that. It could. We could go into deflation very easily. By the way, that is what the traders in the market are worried about. Yeah. Once we start into deflation, people tend to go the other way. They tend to stop spending money when we start into deflation. Why? Because the money's because worth things more. Will be things will be cheaper in the future than they are now because prices are going down. So just wait so to they, spend. They just wait. And by the way, in many cases, uh, and this is a very typical case, we're just seeing it happen very quickly compared to the way it normally happens. People spend a lot of money. They kind of get 
it's like when you eat a big dinner at Thanksgiving, you really don't want to go back and eat much for supper. You basically, in many cases, you just skip supper, or maybe eat a little leftover that you had left over on your plate or something. So what happens in recessions typically is people have spent a lot of money. They have lowered their savings. They have run the credit card balances up too high. And they say, whoa, we got to stop. And about that same time, the businesses have more inventory than they can sell because they've been, because there's a lag between the time they order stuff and the time it comes in. Uh, instant next day delivery hadn't been invented yet at that point. So we get this situation where all of a sudden the economy grinds to a near halt for a short period of time. And we get it. And, and, the, and by the way, people start getting laid off at that point because businesses that have a lot of stuff to sell and nobody to buy them all of a sudden don't have money coming in. They start laying off employees, which means there's less money, which causes, and if you heard your next door neighbor got laid off and you can't find a job, then you stop spending money. And when people stop spending money, the economy slows down and things start to fold in on themselves. And if you exacerbate that, you get a depression. And the fear is, and it's a legitimate fear, that the Federal Reserve will tighten this thing down and cut the money supply down and raise interest rates and we'll get an overreaction sometime next year and get a recession. I think they're smarter than that, though. I hope they're smarter than that. Their language indicates they're not. Their language is saying we're going to beat down inflation, which is running at a whopping 0.1% a month, which is 1.2%. We're going to beat it down to 2% a year. Wait a minute. It's running below 2% a year right now. So Yeah, part but of, we've got to beat it down. Right. Part of the reason why they're using that language is because inflation is psychology. What we were just saying about waiting, and I'll give you a quick example. Over the years productivity, new ways of creating electronics have given us an expectation that the large screen flat you can carry with one pinky television that, uh, that you are going to buy, you should wait till the Christmas sales to buy it. And this is something I think all of us can recall thinking along those lines over the last 10 years or so because the prices are going to come down at the end of the year when new models are going to come out. That's a deflationary trend or disinflation, if you will, because it's the inflation's still been there. It hasn't knocked prices across the board into negatives. Um, but every year you could say, I want to buy my television at the end of the year. That's when the sales are going to be. That's, a, that's an expectation of lower prices in the future. What we've been seeing over the past seven months or so, eight months, 12 months, is people have an expectation, oh, I better buy it today. Because next month, the price is going to be higher. This is psychology, deep, deep psychology. In order for the Federal Reserve to get ahead of that, they have to tell you repeatedly, hey, we're raising interest rates. We're going to knock down inflation. You need to expect things to be less costly in the future, even if it means a recession is coming. So their job is to teach us the psychology of bringing us out of inflation. Don't expect prices to come up. That's what they're saying again and again. We're going to raise interest rates to a point where it's so painful that no way the price is going to go up. Now, the Federal Reserve governors are saying expect interest rates to get up uh, on the on the the Federal Reserve the 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 main interest rate that they set, the window rate. Um, expect it to get up to 5% or even 5.5% next year at, by the end of the year. Okay, 
Think about that for a second. Five to five and a half percent. Let's go to the top rate that they're talking about. Have you seen them talking about five and a half percent? No. No, I have not seen anything. I've seen 5.2, 5.25. I haven't seen five and a half except okay. on the outliers. Yeah. So I'm going to reach, stretch out to say the the most extreme folks are saying expect it to be five and a half percent. Right. We have since March raised rates 4.25 percent. Five and a half percent is only a uh, only a little bit of ways to go from. We're right now at four and a half percent at the top end, four point two five at the low end. So that's only one percentage point above. We've raised it already four and a half percent or four point two five percent. What does that mean? Well, it means that the big interest rate hikes are behind us. We raised at a half a percent. If we expect the worst case scenario to be at the end of the year, 2023, five and a half percent, then we have to raise 1.25% over the next 12 months. We've raised 4.25% over the last seven. So expect much smaller incremental raises in the interest rates going forward, maybe even quarter percent. So don't be terrified about another three quarter percent rise like we saw for a while. We just did a half a percent rise. I would expect quarter point rises going forward. Let me let me explain why this is important in some cases. If you if if you're in a growth investor, meaning you're investing in growth companies, companies that are priced on the stock market, not because of their current profitability or their current breakup value. Man, is Twitter ever an example of that? Um, the breakup value of Twitter right now is probably a negative number. Uh, but the the issue is you're if you if you price if you're buying stock and you say I'm going to buy stock in this company because I expect it's going to make tremendous profits in the future and the company is operating off of mostly borrowed money, which a lot of fast growth companies are and let's just say they and a five percent profit margin is good in a large company that's in other words the the difference between what it costs them to make whatever they make or assemble whatever they assemble and get it delivered and everything else and the retail price they get back in for it, there's a 5% difference. And let's say, again, they're operating off borrowed money. Well, if the Federal Reserve rate is 5%, then the money they've got borrowed from various places is probably going to cost them 7 to 10%. So even if they had a 10% profit margin back when interest rates were zero and were roaring along with their 10% profit margin growing and taking more market share and not being too concerned about profitability because the trick is to get market share as quickly as you can and their loan interest goes up to 10%, they suddenly aren't making money anymore. They're making $0. They have no earnings. What's more, because they have no earnings, uh, and maybe they have negative earnings at this point, they're suddenly in the position where they can't borrow more money because the bank's not interested in loaning them money when they're losing money and have no prospect of making more money. Those companies tend to shut down, and when they shut down, they lay people off, and the people who invested in their stock lose their money. Now, uh, to dovetail then, into that, to dovetail is specifically into what you just said about is basically credit risk for corporations. Banks aren't going to loan money to corporations that have bad credit. The other thing that I get popping up in questions often is, well, what if we have a big real estate collapse like what we did uh, and everybody's underwater? Well, the reality is that according to uh, Equifax and uh, the New York Fed, um, back in 
2005 through 2007, when things were not, they were leading up to the ba bad, nasty global financial crisis with people were getting too many loans. The share of loans that were being given to the highest credit people, well, 760 or more on their credit score, was about 22 to 25%. Most of the loans, 75% of the loans, were to the lower uh, than the 76, 760 credit score. Currently, 62% of the loans being given are for 760. Or, so the vast majority of loans are being given to only people with the absolutely highest credit. The amount of equity we have in our homes versus debt is at a level that we have not seen since we've been measuring it. The value of the houses has gone significantly up, but the amount of debt that we hold on those houses is not much more than what we held back in 2005. The value of the houses are extremely higher, like uh, the equity in the houses is at twice. There's an additional $15 trillion in equity in houses. Even if we see a big downturn, and year over year, the numbers just came out for Austin First time in a long time, the November to November numbers are flat. So year over year, one year, Austin has seen zero growth in the value of the homes there. That's a big deal because Austin was the poster child for the big growth in housing prices. We're flat for a year. This is, you know, we could expect to see it stay flat or even drop a little bit. So from the top, the prices are down about 20% from April or so of, of this year. So we're flat for a year. I would expect that to maintain or even drop a little bit. But when we have as much equity in our homes as we do, many of the people that sold in the pandemic to buy a new home did it with a great deal of equity. They didn't have a huge amount of debt, and they had a large down payment. So we're not seeing that. Banks are not willing and are not legally allowed to give loans to people that can't afford to pay them back anymore. So all of this says that, you know, we're going into a lot of depth here about these, all the negatives out there, meaning a recession may be coming, but it's not going to be like the last one. It's not going to be a uh, down-and-out horrible one, and we may avoid a recession altogether in the United States. It's possible. Uh, it's, I would say there's a greater probability of us having a recession than not going into the next 18 months, but we could still avoid one, where if we look at Europe, they're already in it. China, probably already in it. Their version of a recession may be just one quarter of shrinkage according to their official numbers. They already had that. But now they've loosened up. This is another thing. We've got to play some commercials soon. But they're loosening up their COVID reply, um, requirements, their zero COVID policy. And now they are having no beds in the hospitals left. They're having the big wave that they've avoided of COVID across almost every one of their major population centers right now. That's not good. And it is causing a backlash that they can't control, which is making things very uncomfortable in China right yes. now. Yes, yes. Because we people are scared. The government says, get out and go back to work, and people start getting sick, and they get turned away from the hospital sick, and people start dying, and people start to react the same way we did in the pandemic. It wasn't the government telling us to stay home that caused us to stay home. We stayed home because we were scared 
of getting the disease. And a lot of people doubt that at this point, but I recommend you go back and read your own emails from the time. You may have your own words that will contradict the way we were all afraid. Well, China is feeling that now, a deep sense of fear in the population because they're not vaccinated well. They haven't gotten it, so they don't have herd immunity at all in China, and it's starting to hit there in a big way. To, we are, we, you want to jump right into Meta? Well, I want to go into Meta, and I, I got about three things I want to talk about. One, Meta is down a lot, the stock price. Um, why is it down a lot? It is reflecting what's going on in the rest of the economy. When we were confined to our homes, we spent a lot of time on Facebook. Facebook capitalized on that tremendously by upping its advertising as a percentage of what you see and charging for that advertising. And amazingly enough, as we're no longer locked down, people are using Facebook less. Oh, that's they are not significant. They're not. <laughs> and there's stuff popping up on Facebook and that Instagram. Meta is very unhappy about. Um, Things called reels. I don't know if you've seen them. I personally only understand about 10% of them when I see them. But it's really hard to advertise around a reel. As a result, Meta is suffering from uh, revenue deficiency anemia pretty badly right now. Uh, why are they suffering? Because the economy has shifted. And by the way, it's shifted permanently, folks. We'll never get back to normal. These events, John, you, you, you had a good question about effect of recession on investing. Actually, recessions don't have as much effect on investing as bear as the bear market has on investing because a lot of the crazy people got burned and they're going to get burned again. Crypto is doing wonders for the economy, finally. It's it's sucking money out of the economy and making it disappear, which is exactly what the Federal Reserve is trying to do. And if you're a person and I've heard some of this among my among the people who are younger than I am who with whom I correspond and we chat back and forth. Oh, the Bitcoin is down. Is this a good time to buy it, folks? The remaining large depository for cryptocurrency, Binance, well, made I mean, an announcement this crypto week. crypto.com. There's a couple of others out there. So Binance well, is, Binance a big is one. the Go big ahead. one. Binance is the big one. They made an interesting announcement this week. There has been an accounting firm, a less than stellar accounting firm, but still an accounting firm, one that, by the way, worked for President Trump for quite a while and is suffering from being fined for not reporting things correctly. Um, anyway, the cryptocurrency Mazars. firm, Mazars, Mazars. was, was, yeah. was, was uh, doing uh, reports to the people who had deposits at Binance that their cryptocurrency was actually there. And they've said, well, we're going to pause that. We're no longer going to issue reports assuring people that their money is actually there. They also signed off on FTX. Yes. Which uh, very clearly did not have it. And and what Binance's report said, they brought, they had it published and issued out to everybody before Mazers said, take it off. We don't, we don't underwrite that anymore. They said dollar for dollar, your assets are backed by reserves. Now, reserves in what? That's the big thing. And this is important. If you have a margin account at a stock brokerage firm, a big one, um, any one, they have what's called a margin requirement. You're not allowed to borrow against more than 50% of your asset. The maximum amount you're allowed to borrow against your assets is 50%, period. That's called Reg T. 
It's a very important thing because there were a lot of a lot of times when the stock market behaved very much like the crypto exchanges had. If you loan out more than 50% of your assets, you're covered less than $1 for every dollar in loan. So what Binance came out and said, and they're very proud of it, is that they are at the maximum loan amount that would ever be allowed by any major firm. And they're saying, it's fine, it's fine. Look, we have... We have a $1 of reserve for every dollar of loan. Um, that means you're at 50%, which means if you see the market in crypto drop at all, period, you are now below the point that every major firm in regulated uh, exchanges would start doing what's called a margin call, telling you you are required to sell your collateral to pay off the loan because you now have less collateral than $1 for $1. Binance came out and said, look, guys, we're fine. We have $1 for $1. That for any other major institution would be warning flags. And for them is, look, we're just trying to calm our investors. Um, yeah, that's a problem. And now the accounting firm has come out and said, uh, we're not going to certify that. We didn't really certify that before. We did look over some papers and it looked about right. But we did that for the Trump organization and we did that for FTX. We've been burned enough times now that we're going to step back and let somebody else do that instead. Well, the same thing is going on at Tether, by the way, which has a stable coin that's worth a dollar apiece, theoretically. Uh, BDO, which is an Italian company, was doing their auditing and their reports and says they're reconsidering at this point. Folks, uh, this is the kind of noise that financial institutions make before they collapse and a lot of value disappears. And a lot of people who were spending money because they had all this wealth in uh, stable coins and all this wealth in cryptocurrency probably are going to back off on some of their spending at this point, I think. There's, there's some other things to be aware of, very aware of. Much of the crypto that we know of today that hits news like Tether is based in Hong Kong. And we have just talked about the difficulties in the Chinese economy. It's also illegal to own crypto in China, period. But these major facilities for crypto are based in Hong Kong. If that doesn't make your brain kind of warp a little bit, uh, I don't know what will. It's illegal to own it, but these major facilities are based there that are issuing crypto. Just keep that in mind. Uh, the Federal Reserve is, does not regulate crypto. The SEC does not regulate crypto, though they're trying to. Um, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency doesn't regulate crypto. All of them are getting their act together and looking at it. The, the Southern District of New York doesn't. But if you look at who has sued the founder of FTX, uh, Mr. Bankman Fried, um, you will see that all these people that say we don't regulate crypto are in fact the ones that filed the charges to arrest him for fraud. So the regulation is coming. Well, fraud is still illegal whether you're in yeah. a regulated industry or not. Correct. I mean, if, if, you, you, if you say I'm going to take care of your money for you and you say it publicly, or you're going to take care of something of value for you, yeah. and then you use it for your personal enrichment, that's called fraud. Yeah, and in this case, um, he said, we're not loaning out client assets while loaning out client assets. Um, well, that's a lie, and when you have a lie that causes people to lose money, 
because you're doing something with their money that you said you weren't going to do. That's called fraud. And we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a, a finance program, as you would probably guess from the Personal Wealth Coach being our title. The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on this st- in, on this station, 1400 AM in Temple, since 1996. We've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Man. have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think Uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally portfolio management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally, voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at 254-947-1111. You can reach that line tool free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.